0: Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today we're discussing Stranger Things episode 3. This is a part of our Stranger Things series. And as always, we're taking a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the episode. We'll focus primarily on spirituality, human nature, relationships, and sometimes we'll even throw in government and who knows what else. This podcast will contain spoilers. If you haven't seen Stranger Things Episode 3 yet, you might want to do so prior to listening in. Unless you're not concerned about spoilers, then we're just glad to have you. I want to start with a special thanks to Podbean. So we post our podcast recordings through Podbean, which is awesome. Um, they actually have a way to connect Podbean to iTunes. So it'll do an automatic upload to iTunes. Really cool service. We really like using them. And the reason I'm telling you about it is because um they didn't ask me to do that but they did feature us as their podcast of the week which was super cool so special thanks to them and if you started following us because you saw us as a part of that welcome to the reclamation society podcast it is great to have you involved please drop us a line let us know that you swung by let us know that you listened and let us know your thoughts on this podcast before we get started, I do want to mention that we'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. So we are a nonprofit, and all donations are tax deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories. So we're going to come out with a short story um, next, early next year. We already have our Star Wars fan film that you can watch on YouTube. Um, the donations also contribute to these podcasts and our blog posts. So if you visit www.reclamationsociety.org give, you can become a supporter. The link is also down in the show notes. Also, as you may have heard, the Reclamation Society has our first sponsor. We are sponsored by Urban Vinyl. And Urban Vinyl makes premium wood headphones. How cool are these headphones? You can actually see the headphones. If you look at my um, Rogue One review on YouTube, I actually show the, the headphones there fantastic looking headphones. They're made by audiophiles for audiophiles. So if you're somebody who likes really high quality audio, great headphones for you. Every time you buy one, two things happen. One, you get a 15% discount by buying them using our link. Link is in the show notes below. Um, But another cool thing happens as well, and that's that they donate Um, to the Reclamation Society. So it's a cool way of supporting us by buying their headphones and we would love to have you do that. Joining me on the podcast today is the editor in chief of the pros and cons. So that's P-R-O-S-E and cons um, website and a managing editor for a science-based ministry And her name is Sandra Demas. So we're really excited to have her on the show. She's a big geek. We're big geeks. We love talking about geek stuff. But I would also love to hear from you. If there's something that you would like to contribute, please shoot me an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. If you don't know how to spell Reclamation Society, just look in the show notes, cut and paste it. I'll put it down there. I will read your emails on a future podcast if you shoot them over to me. And if you're listening to us and you think, wow, they really got that wrong, or there's just something that we completely missed, please let us know. Um, we, we love to dis- start discussions with people. We love to talk about this stuff. Um, we are big geeks and want to talk to you about geek stuff. Uh, one other way that you can contribute to the discussions is actually to join our MZ discussion group. So MZ is a social network. It's pretty new, It's sort of like Reddit. Um, mz.com imzy.com search for the reclamation society we have a group on there we post in that group and then you can respond to our podcast and to anything else that we are doing finally if you will do me a personal favor i would be very grateful and if that's um if you would submit a review of this podcast on itunes that was a very long intro now though let's dive into stranger things episode three So let me welcome Sandra Demas to the program. Sandra, how are you today?
1: I am super. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm glad to be talking about Stranger Things again. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Well, I am a lifelong dork. Uh, I love cartoons and monsters and books and coffee and Jesus and um, lots of things like that. I, I run the pros and cons website. It's a nerdy website that touches on a bunch of issues from race and gender and faith, all from sort of a pop culture point of view. Mm. And by day, I serve as managing editor of a science faith ministry. So I'm pretty much eating, sleeping, and breathing sci-fi and sci-fact.
0: Ah, That sounds awesome. Um, we, most of us in the Reclamation Society are also big dorks. So yeah. we're we all in there together. <laughs> Um, so let's go ahead and dive into episode three of Stranger Things. Um, in this, uh, episode, we learn a little bit more about what's going on. And then we also explore a lot of the tension that it brings up. But before we get too far into like the deeper themes, what would you rate this particular episode of Stranger Things, episode three, on a scale of one to 10?
1: Ooh, a million. Um, I really love Stranger Things in general. Um, and this episode... I mean, I didn't like the fact that we lose Barb, but it was it episode two ended so powerfully and then we jumped back in episode three just dying to see what has happened. So I loved this episode. Um I loved what was going on with um with Joyce. Oh yeah. Just, it was a really strong, strong episode.
0: I agree. I, I, I really like this episode too. This is a great one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It kind of like it I feel like it's super like, just starts from there where if you weren't already committed to watching every single episode in one sitting, like, you're doing it now.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Now, did you, did you actually binge watch this series?
1: As much as I could because by the time I was actually done with all the things I needed to do for the day – I could get in maybe about three episodes. Oh. Took took a few days to watch it because I mean I would be like super tired, and the next morning talking to a coworker like, "Oh my gosh, where are you?" So <laughs> we were binging, uh, binge watching it pretty much together.
0: That's awesome. My my wife and I started it kind of late after the hype, and we watched. Uh, we intended to watch one episode. We watched four. And then the next day we were supposed to go, I don't know, to the beach or something. We were supposed to have like a day out and we're just like, <laughs> we're too tired. Let's watch four more episodes and we just finished it all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: So that was kind of cool. Um, so what about the whole season? What's your, what, what, what is your take on the entire season of Stranger Things from a scale of one to 10?
1: Again, I'd say like a million. Um, I don't really freak out too much over episode or season over TV series the last show that I really enjoyed from beginning to end was Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. and when I told my friends that I feel like Stranger Things is my new Breaking Bad, they were like, "Oh wow!" Like that, they knew already that that was a huge compliment to the show. So I think it's one of the best shows out in recent history. I think that it is so completely what I've been missing as a fan of horror and of thriller. And uh Stephen King and and shows like Outer Limits and X Files and Twilight Zone, like this is what I've been wanting for a long time. So I I love it.
0: Yeah, and it's so well done too. Now let me ask you this because I've ha- I've talked about this with a couple other people, and this is not a question that I had prepped you for. So <laughs> throw- this is a surprise question. But um, you mentioned about the pros and cons about how you guys tackle um, issues of diversity and you know all forms of diversity and, um, apply those things to pop culture. Some Mm -hmm. of the, I have heard some complaints that stranger things didn't really break any new grounds specifically in the area of diversity. Um, you have like the four boys primarily, and and we've seen that already in Goonies and we've seen it in a number of other eighties films. Mm -hmm. Um, what was your take on that? Did you, did you feel that way or did you feel like it just kind of made sense given the context or what would you say?
1: Well, I mean, I could say we're talking about 1983, but I mean, people of color have existed. So, um, if this were made in 1983, it would be a little bit more understandable. Um, you know, I mean, you do have, uh, I guess if you want to see a strong female character, although she's severely broken and trying to tap into her strength for 11, um, you have her. You have uh, Lucas as a, a person of color, and I don't. I, I believe Dustin as well. I don't know his background. Right. That didn't really jump out at me so much. Okay, but um, I, I didn't feel like it was completely whitewashed.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I didn't either. I did. I did feel like when I heard that comment for the first time, I thought, yeah, that's probably a fair comment. Um, but I think also that there's. <laughs> You know, you can break new ground or you can do something traditionally that draws people into their nostalgia and do it extraordinarily well. And I think obviously this show sides more on that latter description than the the other. Um, But it just does it so well. It does it so artfully and it does it in such a human way. That I think that it overcomes some of those things, but i I agree it could they could have been more innovative by having four girls instead of four boys right like they could have mm-hmm. gone that direction um so in with all my guests thus far, so we had Karina Fabian on the first um, episode, and she is uh a a Catholic science fiction writer actually and then um I had Isaac Johnson on episode two and he is an actor um And two of the questions that just come up all the time um, in every single episode, and I'll ask them to you as well as I ask them. um, The first is, what is the upside down? Is it a parallel universe? Is it another planet? Is it some sort of spiritual plane, like sort of a, a, a vision of hell? What do you think the upside down is?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I don't think it's another planet. Um, whether it's a parallel universe or a spiritual plane, I mean, it can engage the current world or the the world that um, everyone else is living in. It can engage that one when you have this kind of creature pushing through the walls and everything. So it is, it, I mean, I think it could be a spiritual plane that can have like physical interaction with this world. But I'm I'm not entirely sure. I mean that that's still the mystery, and I'm okay with that mystery of not knowing what it is. It's definitely a mirror of what we're seeing in this earth, in that it's like the like for Barb with the pool scene. It's like the pool, but it is just distorted and gross. It's almost like what we see in Coraline, where it's a a, a copy of something that already exists, but it's just distorted and gross and disgusting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I I really hope that this does not turn out to be just an alternate timeline or something. Um, or even if it's a parallel universe, I hope that there's some sort of spiritual component to it. I agree. I'm with you that you can't really, you can't really tell, um, but I, I prefer something that's not sort of like the science, the science explanation that we've all heard before, you know? Um, I, is, I would like, like a, it if it was more spiritual.
1: What's the science explanation? Cause I, honestly, I've avoided a lot of kind of think pieces about what, how, like how to interpret stranger things. I've avoided those because I don't want that populating my head when I watch it. I've just I knew that there was, there was hype around it. I caught on pretty quickly when that hype started Um, and I haven't entertained anything like fan theories or anything just because I don't, I don't want to, not yet at least.
0: Yeah. So, um, I don't read fan theories almost at all. Um, I just don't, I'm with you about all the properties that I like, I I'll listen to... The only one that I'll listen to I'll, I'll, um, some fan theories about is usually Star Wars. But that's only because... I'm <laughs> it's so, Star Wars. Yeah, it's Star Wars. What am I going to do? There's so many fan theories out there. Um, so the last time I can remember doing that was with Snoke. So I can't say that I've <laughs> dove into like interpretations of what's going on in Stranger Things. Um, however, my thought process in asking the question is that like we've all seen the shows like X-Files or... Um, fringe is my my best example and i actually use that later in in the notes about what we're going to talk about but like fringe tried to make science out of everything like it tried to explain everything away by saying like well this over here is the scientific principle and this is how this plays itself out um and so i think i'm hoping that it doesn't go that direction i'm hoping that it doesn't go down the the parallel universe track or the alternate timeline track just because i think we've We've been exposed to that before um, in in TV shows that are similar to this. And obviously there's all the TV shows that have spiritual planes as well, so I'm not discounting that. But I hope that there's, I hope they leave it maybe even a little bit like determined for yourself what it will be. Um, Yeah. Uh, So the second question that I ask everybody also pertains to the (laughs) supernatural elements of the show. And in this show, we learn a little bit more, we see a little bit more um, of Eleven's powers. And we even hear Dustin wonder aloud whether she was born with her powers or if she acquired them. And so what do you think? What are Elle's powers? Are they supernatural? Are they just science-based? How did she acquire them? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know if there is um, an ability based on traumatic events to then develop things like telekinesis, but that's that's how I would identify her ability to like shut the door and move things um, and make things fly. You know, I, I would call that telekinesis and it's, I mean, just the definition of that, it's a spiritualistic medium. So she's able to do that. It's a spiritual I don't want to say gift, but a supernatural, something supernatural is occurring and it's impacting the physical world. Uh, Now, whether that can be explained strictly through science, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if science can explain how someone can think of something happening and then it makes an object move or close or lock or whatever. I, I don't know if science can explain that. So I would say it's, it's supernatural, but as a result of experiments, like scientific experiments done on her and there's traumatic uh, effects that result in telekinesis. I don't know. I mean, it could be, could be anything.
0: <laughs> it definitely could be. And I'm, I'm sort of with you. In fact, one of the things that always bugs me a little bit, and you since you're more of an expert on this than I am, I'll run this, I'll run this by you. But um, I feel like what we tend to say is that, Science is our means of naturally explaining uh what is occurring right because I mean science isn 't really anything more than saying we 've been able to measure this so that we understand that the universe behaves in this way um, and i so i i I like it when we go beyond that to things about things happening in the universe that we don 't understand, and then it 's kind of more clearly that it 's supernatural whether it bends the rules of science or whether it breaks them we can at least admit that okay we don't fully understand this mm. um so the thing i did really like about this story was that it does have that like supernatural or paranormal story but it seems to also hold a scientist's skepticism and a desire to measure Um, These these mystical things. So I kind of like the balance. How would you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Like the measurement of the mystical and the supernatural versus the scientific?
1: Well, in this episode, we have Dustin and Mike and Lucas talking about what happened. And Lucas is really skeptical. He's coming more from like a scientific perspective, I think that there has to be some sort of explanation. He's not impressed by what she's done necessarily, or not yet, like early on in the episode. Mm -hmm. And for Dustin, he's kind of processing out loud, what is this? Um, And for Mike, he just seems like, you know, he's bought into the spiritual or supernatural aspect of it. Um, As far as science and what you were saying about Um, science is our means of naturally explaining what's happening um, and what we're what we can witness Um, I think the data is the data so whatever happens um, that's for scientists to um, to look at and to to try to figure out like what's actually going on if we're talking about the universe or we're talking about what Elle has done in in this episode they need to do their best to determine what's actually happening, but there's still an an aspect of interpretation in there. So what are they going to do once they get that data? So in looking at the data in this episode, Al is able to shut the door or maybe she's not, maybe that's a question like, oh, we don't know if she actually did it or maybe it was wind. But what happens is the door closes and it locks and things move. So in looking at that, Someone like Lucas would say, well, there's a a natural explanation for that. I don't know what that is, but there has to be, because from his perspective, at least at that point, he's not willing to entertain that a supernatural reason is possible. Like that just doesn't exist in his mind. Um, For Lucas, he's able to look at what happened, look at that data and say, okay, what could have happened? Could it be natural maybe, but the windows were closed. The air wasn't on. So it's unlikely the wind closed or something else natural closed the door. So because of that, I'm going to lean toward supernatural. So I think it's, it is in a sense, kind of letting you look at the different ways to process the same data.
0: Yeah. I love that breakdown too. That's awesome. Um, That's that's like one of the things that the Reclamation Society loves to do is like, look what the storytellers are telling us is happening. Now, how do we break that down? How do the characters break it down? And how do we interpret that um, as it as it may or may not happen in our real world around us? So excellent job. That was that was fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> um, so let's let's segue there, because I think you just did a great job of explaining what where the different characters' mindsets were at when they experienced these things. And so my question for you is, as you look at the different characters, and you sort of you hit them all on the head, like you have um, Mike and Dustin, who are sort of more open to exploration and believing that it's probably something that's happening that's supernatural. And then you have Lucas, who does not entertain the idea at all. Um, Joyce is similar to Mike and Dustin where she's going, there's something happening here and I'm just going to, um, I'm going to accept it. Whereas her son, Jonathan, isn't basically so sure. And he's even, even maybe trying to protect her a bit from, um, from her own, um,
1: Downward spiral. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So my question to you is sort of which of these characters do you most closely align yourself to? Where do you say, Oh, I see this. I see a lot of this um character in myself.
1: Right. Um I definitely connect to many of the characters. Uh sometimes it'll be a line like with Hopper. He says mornings are for coffee and contemplation and I'm like, "Yes, that's I'm all about that like coffee contemplation and kind of very uh little else besides that in the morning." Um so I like him. He's a funny character. Um, I like Jonathan, even though, you know, him taking the photos is pretty creepy. I can relate to him in the sense that he's watching his mom kind of spiral out of control. And from his perspective, at least, he's thinking she refuses to accept the fact that her son is missing and possibly dead. And instead, she's resorting to something that's ridiculous and completely, you know, imaginary. Um, in the, the way that I relate to Jonathan is that, you know, I'm, I'm watching my mom as we are going through a journey of cancer with my sister and seeing how my mom is trying to keep it together and she's doing a phenomenal job, but some days are tough and, and she's not entertaining imaginary scenarios, but, um, there is just the, you know, there's a scene where Jonathan wants his mom to eat and I've played out that scene with my mom, mom, you've got to eat, you know, and he's trying to get his, his mom to be present for him. Cause he still exists. as her son, her other son. Right. And he's trying to make sure she's taking care of herself and, um, not losing control of, of what's actually happening and not losing herself. So I can relate in like a super emo way to that and to Jonathan's character. Um, plus, you know, he's, um, exposing Will to really good music, and I feel like I'm trying to do some of that with with my niece and nephew, like to get them into some cool things, things that I find that are cool, and trying to say, hey, don't, like don't uh, don't let anybody tell you something's not cool. Just enjoy it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I would say Dustin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome. awesome.
1: I love Dustin. Yeah, he and I both have messy curly hair. Um, just the way he dresses with the graphic tees and, you know, kind of super, super chill. He knows his token and he will defend it. And he will tell you if it's the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. He's in the AV club. I was in the AV club in high school and college. And then on their trip, he brings snacks, not weapons, but snacks.
0: <laughs> That's, <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, That's awesome. That's <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: I think, yeah, I think the, the, we, this came up in one of the other podcasts. Cause I, I feel like, um, you're right on the money in that all the characters are very relatable and you can find them in your, you can find types of them in your personal life for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think the, filmmakers or the TV show, the Dustin or the Duffer Duffer brothers. Brothers. Yeah. the Duffer brothers. They are very much into making Mike the one that the audience is like, yeah, everyone should be like Mike almost because he's got the most empathy. Um, he does have his outbursts. So at the end of this episode, he has like his outbursts. Yeah. Um, but he's almost like a cathartic experience for the audience to be like, Oh, we feel like Mike, like what's going on here. Um, but I, I, I like your analysis of the other characters. I, I would probably most closely align myself, um, probably with Lucas. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, because I actually believe in the supernatural and I, 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 believe in God. I believe that God exists. Um, but I tend to be a very skeptical person. So the, despite the fact that I love this sci-fi stuff, um, and I love geek stuff and I love comic books. If you came and told me tomorrow, like, "Oh, this crazy thing happened and it was it was um, you know a completely spiritual thing," my first reaction would be, and I'm not always I'm not always happy about this, by the way, but my first <laughs> reaction would be skepticism. I'd be like, "Oh, really? Because I don't know. That could be." Um, And I think, I think, uh, I think I'm being pushed in my beliefs all the time. And I think that sometimes I am far too skeptical, uh, but that's probably who I would most closely align to because he's, he's very driven towards doing the things that he believes will make a difference, um, and not entertaining things that could be pie in the sky thinking that may or may not make a difference, but it's very difficult to tell, um, And, uh, and I, I would, I would probably align with him the most of all of them.
1: Well, that's pretty biblical though. Like we're supposed to test everything and hold on to what's good. So you're testing everything and that's, you're not just, believing anything you're not gullible so that's very biblical of <laughs> say you're very biblical
0: <laughs> yeah there you go I'll, I'll say that from now on and i do i really do believe so you know when i look at the show and when i look at what's going on as what they're expressing to be supernatural i mean so i i am a christ follower i do believe in god and people that listen to this podcast know that um i do believe that god has the capability to manipulate the laws that govern our universe um I also believe that God exists outside of those laws, so i don 't think that God is subject or confined to behave within the rules of the system that he designed because mm-hmm. um, he 's bigger than the system that he designed right like um, if we want to if if <laughs> applying it to to a metaphor in our own lives, if we build a lego uh, a Lego <laughs> set and we want to take that Lego set apart, um, we can do that right like we we have the the capability of doing that so no, I, I, I what 's that <laughs>
1: Not if we use the craggle. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <suck>. That's
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Um, so, but despite holding those beliefs, I really am more of a skeptic. I think that I can err too far on the side of skeptic when I should be exercising faith a little bit more. So that's just not, you know my own <laughs> confession, but. Um, Yeah, so I probably align with with Lucas. But like you, I can see different parts of myself in other characters as well. And that's what makes the show so – it makes us resonate with the show so much, I think. Yeah. Um, So when it comes to the real world, are you more of a scientific thinker or a spiritual thinker?
1: I am both. I I don't know if I would say I'm one or the other. Um, It really depends on – the situation and what's happening if we're talking about prayer if we're talking about something that i've just witnessed occur in front of my very eyes um it really depends and i kind of feel like we ought to be both so yeah i mean i don't know if it's if it's cheating to say that i'm both but that's that's the answer I'm sticking to it. Yeah,
0: I don't think I don't think it's cheating at all. I think I think a healthy balance is the ideal. Um, and like I mentioned about myself, I tend to be more on the scientific side, so I want to look for all the measurements, right? I, for, I I generally tend to prefer logic over emotion, and so it's kind of like okay, I want to figure this thing out before I get excited about it or be sad about it or whatever okay. it is. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily trying to explain away everything because I am open to things. I just try to put like a layer of scrutiny over them. So I think you're in a better place because if you're more middle ground, that's almost like perfect. You know, if you can be in a, in that middle ground, um, that's ideal.
1: Well, a, a friend of mine kind of jokes about people who think like me, cause he's at least in the process of writing, he's very, um, systematic and, um, he has his processes and, and that's what he's what he sticks with. You know, everything has to be outlined and blah blah blah. And he's like, You see to the pancers you like to just frolic in the tulips of your imagination.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's a hilarious um description. I think I think that I would say yes, I do believe that um it just in, in engaging the world that there is I believe that it is much more enchanted than we sometimes want to want to believe or even entertain, and I don't I don't know if that's because I grew up Catholic and from it seems like from a Catholic perspective that our world is much more enchanted than when we switch over to like a Protestant view. It seems less so, mm. um, at least from my experience and having been involved in both. Um, I think the idea of of our world being a little bit more enchanted (laughs) um, is definitely appealing, but it doesn't mean, you know, that there are fairies floating around and um, inanimate objects having spirits or anything like that.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. Before we move on from the spiritual component of what we've been talking about, is there anything else that you'd say about the show that you observed or anything else that you would bring up as something that you found really fascinating?
1: You know, What I did find fascinating, its not really fascinating, more nitpicky, um, Nancy was talking about house arrest. And that got me curious, thinking when that actually became a term that we were familiar with. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like that would have been something that she would have been aware of and it would have made its way into kind of the general population's vocabulary quite yet.
0: That's a good. That's a good pickup. On my on this second viewing, um, I have been trying to look for things that I'm like, oh, did that really occur at that time? But mm. so far, so you, that's an excellent pickup from you because so far I've been unable to actually find any. I know I know there are some because I've actually seen some websites talk about them. Like you know, they played a song and that song didn't come out till 1984, 85, and it's supposed to be 83. <laughs> um, but the one that came up for me is I was looking at the. Uh, the jaws poster uh, the movie poster yeah, uh, that's in his room and I'm like wait a minute when did jaws come out but of course it was like 75 so I was way off um, I was born in 81 so I would've been 2 years old at the time this show was taking place so it's for me I'm wow. remembering the 80s more from like a 1988 standpoint than I yep. am from a 1983 standpoint so I get it I still get it wrong personally
1: mm-hmm. I think it was just one glorious decade Mm -hmm. everything amazing came out in the 80s (laughs) I'm kind of biased though
0: yeah exactly exactly. so let's break from that topic and move into um, a little bit more in depth about what this show has to say about the US government so what do you think that this show has to say about our government and do you feel similarly to any of the characters in the show in the way that they react
1: well it's definitely sketchy at least the way it's portrayed in the show in real life. That's a topic for another podcast, but, um, yeah, I mean this, the government is definitely up to no good. They're doing something. Um, what, like for what purpose is it for profit? Is it for scientific inquiry? I don't know. We don't know yet, but they are not good guys as far as it looks right now.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, is, there's an there's an indication that the government is really big, um, and I think you know fast forward, in however many years it's been since this was supposed to be taking place, um, and I and I think about this oftentimes because I think back to some of my favorite movies were made in the eighties, so um, the Indiana Jones series, most of the Star Wars films were made in the eighties, um, and so as I as I look at that, the original Star Wars films, um, I look at that and I That's go seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um I look at that and I think about like Indiana Jones has this sense of like wonder about these areas of the world. I think the 80s were like the last decade where that still made sense cuz now today it's kind of like if if there was a temple in the middle of India that that was like so weird Um, I'd expect to see vice news out there like tomorrow, like exploring it. Right. Or like I'd expect to see it on the travel and leisure magazines, 50 most weird places to visit. Like the world has become sort of small, but in, in the eighties there were still things that were, and I know the government's probably hiding stuff from us today, but with the access to information and things like that, it doesn't feel as much that way. Like it feels legit that the government's really big and that they can hide things like in a little small town somewhere. Um, But at the same time, it it feels um, like the government's also uh, not totally knowable. And I think that that's a real truth that we're going to see later, we're going to discover things later that are going on right now about what our government is doing that we don't agree with or we find issues with, Um, because it's happened in the past, right? So we can just assume that the history repeats itself. Um, but it is I do think it's interesting that you know there's these scientific experiments that are going on that may have moral issues and Mm -hmm. it sounds like the government is meaning to protect us but I think oftentimes when the government attempts to protect us by doing things that have some moral implications it's oftentimes trying to protect itself more than individuals who reside in its territory so to speak
1: well, I think it I think it um it kind of puts a hierarchy on some life versus other life. And so in this, for whatever reason, the lives of children like 11 aren't as valued as other lives. So if it is to benefit like if this testing will ultimately benefit the the world's population or the country's population, in some way that's yet undefined, the process to get to that benefit or to that goal is by harming lives today. And right. so I, I don't know if it's that there's a value of life, just a value of some life.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think you're, you're right on. In fact, the last podcast we recorded, we actually did a um, The Dark Knight and um in that podcast we talked a lot about how uh batman and some of the rest of the police force are using are using torture to essentially get information out of the joker and others um maroni for example in order to be able to save more lives and it's this interesting there's this interesting dynamic to where i think all of us would say well torture is bad but then as soon as you put an end result out in front of us I think that we would say something is morally wrong, most of us would, and then we'd turn around and say, oh, well, you know what? If you could save a thousand lives by torturing one person, yeah, maybe that's okay. So I think that as you, I think it's easier to apply. It's difficult enough, let me say it first this way, to apply um, moral value to individuals. But when you take it to a government standpoint and you're trying to, like, you, like you're basically saying, the government oftentimes has to decide what kind of people groups it will uh, benefit over and above other kinds of people groups. And generally speaking, that's we We try and protect our own national interests over interests in other countries um the interests of other countries I should say, um, but even within our borders there's there's different people groups who have different interests that are either um, hindered or helped by whatever the government decides to determine is moral right. right. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see how this government is playing out, and it kind of always, whenever I see, whenever I see what's going on with Eleven when she's um, at the government facility, I'm always sort of reminded of the LSD experiments that the CIA was supposedly involved in. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I can say supposedly. I think they actually were involved in them, um, you know, years ago. And it just is very reminiscent of that. And to think that that could be going on today in a different, with a different set of parameters, is just kind of crazy to me, but.
1: Yeah.
0: um, One of the primary themes of the show is community, Um, Mm -hmm. mostly in the form of friendship, um, some romantic relationships, and then family. And so in the previous episode, we saw that Nancy and Barb had a degree of intimacy, even to the point where Barb could tell Nancy things like, this isn't you. And I think if somebody tells you, if a friend tells you, like, hey, you're acting strange, this isn't really how you normally act, that just speaks to the degree of intimacy that that she has with Nancy. Right. Um, And even in this episode, you know, Nancy abandons Barb um, and begins a romantic slash implied sexual relationship with Steve. And then afterwards, without Barb around, um, Nancy seems to flounder a bit with her identity and knowing who she is. She has an encounter with her mom where she kind of seems different. She seems a little bit withdrawn when she um, goes to school the next day. Um, But that's just one example. We also see intimacy between Joyce and Jonathan and Will. uh, And of course, the three friends, Mike and Lucas and Dustin, and their growing relationship with Elle. So... As we see these things start to develop and as the rest of the season kind of moves forward, what what lessons do you think that episode three and Stranger Things in general specifically teaches us about intimacy?
1: Well, I don't know what it teaches us about intimacy, but what we can kind of gain, I guess, from looking at how the relationships play out and we can say, oh, what, what do I want to, how do I want my impact to be when I'm interacting with other people and I'm looking at like Nancy and Barb and man, Nancy is just such a terrible friend. She really is. I think part of the reason why she flounders is because she's completely guilty because she knows she abandoned her friend and she really abandoned herself. Um, there's a scene where Nancy and Barb are heading to the party. You can see already that Barb doesn't want to go. And then when Nancy changes, she says, Oh, is that a new bra? And I thought, you know, that's a good, that's a good line right there because Women or young girls, when they're friends, they tend to know a lot about each other and probably even their undergarments. Like, yeah, hey, that's a new bra. Uh-huh. And that's what I took from that. That little conversation was like, that's how close they are. And she's trying. Nancy is trying so hard to be a part of a different group of, of people, a different class um, in, in high school. They're all kind of broken up into these classes, unfortunately. And it's like you can only be one or the other, but not both. Hmm. And and Nancy's really making that decision that she doesn't want to be what Barb is, whatever Barb is, probably in the, the nerd group or whatever. So I, I like Barb because I'm like, yeah, you know, you be you and tell your friends when they're not being themselves because that's really what you value about them is who they are, not who they're trying to pretend to be. Um, so Nancy definitely lost, willingly lost herself even before Barb left. Um or you know was taken to the upside down um as far as the the young boys go, like with will and or not so not will, but with Mike, Lucas and Dustin, and their friendship with al i I think they they all bring different different personalities that complement each other, you know how we we're talking about Mike, and he's definitely engaged or willing to entertain supernatural phenomenon and and Lucas is on the other side and then Dustin's kind of right in the middle and then we have Al who's just being Al you know um, but they're all they all complement each other I think and they're all working they even identify what friendship is and what it means to be a friend and and they are all playing that out in a very active way in looking for their friend and putting their lives on the line so they really are kind of this innocent, pure friendship versus what happens when things get complicated in high school or you allow them to get complicated. So I I really like that they have younger kids and showing their friendship because there is something that we um, can hope to cling to as adults. It's looking back at our, our early friendships before things got, you know, got all messed up in high school, most likely for a lot of people. Um, Like, what were those friendships like? And what did you do for each other? And how did you how are you just very very comfortable being yourself? Um, So I like that about the the boys. I feel like their friendship is really good and it's genuine. And hopefully it will stay that way as these characters get older. But for Nancy and Barb, I mean, poor Nancy, she's going to have a hard time because she's going to always rewrite herself. I think if her character stays true to what she's been, she's going to be changing a lot.
0: Yeah. That's a good analysis. I think too, um, with one of the reasons that uh there was such an uproar over Barb's disappearance, uh, and the nature of her disappearance, is just because of how well, one, how relatable she was, but also because there was evidence that she was that she had a very intimate relationship with Nancy. So for them for the show to sort of forget about Barb um is it sort of breaks that uh, those principles of intimacy and community being so valuable because you're like wait a minute why is no one concerned about barb like what happened here like so i think the show shows the show does a good job of showing us that that intimacy is something that when even when the show gets it wrong because they're getting it right so often when they get it wrong it's we're left with like what in the world happened there like well, how did you guys mess that up um yeah. But I think you're right. I think some of the things that I threw out there too is just, you know, we, if, we're, if we're able to be um, friends with people and we're able to be intimate with them, they help point us down the right path, right? If we develop intimacy with people, they're able to speak into our lives and say, you know what, maybe you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing or encouraging you to do something new or different or whatever it is. Um, I think friends uh, and family can help sustain us as well and help. Be there when we are um, at our worst. So I think of like Jonathan. Um, I think there's a, there's a scene in episode three at the end there when the uh, Demigorgon, for lack of a better word, comes mm-hmm. through the wall and chases Joyce and Joyce runs out into the street and she's just kind of running aimlessly through the street. And then this car pulls up and, you know, there's this moment of like, Oh wait, who is this? Um, and it turns out that it's Jonathan and there's, there's this just really emotional component to seeing like, okay, Jonathan and Joyce are there for each other at a time when they really need each other. So I think the show does that really, really well. It's come up in every one of the podcasts because in every single episode, they're dealing with these, um, these, friendship things like like even um uh, Mike's response when they drag uh what oh. we will eventually learn to be the fake body
1: Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, when when
0: when they they drag that body out he sees it he turns to 11 and is like you were just talking to me about friends telling the truth and yet you're lying to me because you said he was hiding and yet this is a body right? So um I think the show just does that very artfully. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to um, really devote ourselves to the show and the watching of it.
1: Oh yeah. It's such a good show.
0: Yeah. Anything else that you'd bring up about this episode? I have no more questions, but if there's anything else we want to talk about.
1: No, you know what? Um, Some of the details that I think are fascinating, just going back to 1983 and looking at, with Hopper and he's having to investigate these things going on with the government. He has to go to the library and he has to pull up microfiche articles, you know, and they're scrolling through these negative images of a newspaper clipping. And it's just, it's so crazy to think that's what people had to do. Like if they wanted to do research, they had to go to the library or you know maybe go find the person that they want information on and and track them down somehow asking this person that person so there's a lot of interaction that has to happen and a lot of time spent and now there's very little interaction that has to happen in order to find information but there's also much much less time is um, needs to be invested to do that so it's just crazy to look back and go man like we we couldn't do much back then like it took a lot of time and effort to do things. How do people find out anything? How do people do investigative reporting? And it's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I can't even imagine like doing some of those things. I remember, so I started college in 1999, in the fall of 1999, and back then uh, the internet was still fairly new at that point in time, particularly when it came to doing research online. And all of the professors would say, you cannot trust any sources online. You're not allowed to. And you have to go to the library and look stuff up. And, uh, and now it's a completely different scenario. I mean, we trust so much of the information that exists online. Um, it's really weird to see it change like that. But you're right. It has. It's changed so drastically. I mean, just look at the phone situation. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have cell phones. There's no such thing as a cell phone. No one's even thinking of that quite yet.
1: When so. Barb's mom says to Nancy, "Well, have Barb call me as soon as you see her," and I'm thinking, man, if that were today, it'd be like you'd be texting him right away, your kid. Like, where are you? Where you know? Oh yeah. Uh, and some some of the mystery just couldn't happen. It just couldn't happen now, unless the person does not have a phone. Or if they do and they, you can't get a hold of them, then I think that already raises suspicion. But with this kind of not knowing, oh, they spent the night over here and maybe they went to – like with Will, he he spent – he maybe he spent the night or maybe he left the house early. Who knows? And it's crazy to think that parents didn't have quick access to their kids. That's nuts.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, there's so- – <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up because there are two things that I wasn't even thinking about but we can talk about them now. One of them is um you know I, I I when I reflect on this which is not often um because I've even done a tech startup so I'm I'm very um I'm not super knowledgeable about tech stuff but I'm I keep up on tech stuff and what really I find kind of shocking is how we've come to rely upon these things and how in some ways it's been positive And in other ways it's been very negative. Like, can you imagine not being able to reach a loved one within a half an hour, within an hour? Like we go into immediate anxiety because it's not the norm for us to not be able to contact people and get a response from them very quickly. But like you're saying in these situations, back in 1983, That wasn't a thing. If you told somebody, I'm going to spend the night, you would not talk to them for 12 hours perhaps or longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that was very normal. And so if you didn't hear from somebody for a while, you didn't freak out about it. Um, You know, go back even further and we're talking about no phones existing. The only way you're going to talk to somebody is if you send, you know, a letter or you actually go travel over to their house. Uh, The pace of life would be just so much different. So I'm glad you brought that up because I do I do think that that's a um, that's an issue. I mean that's a, it's, it's changed drastically since since that time.
1: Right. I think it. I think that we can do things much quicker, but because of that, I think we don't put a price on our time, and our time really ought to be valuable. And sometimes we just spend it so frivolously because we have I think more of it because we're able to accomplish more quicker with you know, with less time and less effort, and so we just spend our time on things that really shouldn't matter. I think back then when you had to, when you wanted to talk to somebody, first of all, you had to be incredibly um, intentional in that, and you had to pick up that phone and call them and then call them back if they didn't answer because there was no machine, or if there was, you know, uh, you still want to talk to them and not just leave a message for the entire household to hear right. or, or even back before then, like you had to write a letter and you had to make sure that letter got sent and, and then wait and wait and wait. And so, you know, there are definitely some good things about that and that people are being careful and intentional in their relationships that they want to make sure they have time to have a conversation. And it was face to face. It wasn't, you know, texting back and forth, and not ever hearing the person's voice, even
0: yeah exactly um the other thing that 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 uh, you triggered in my mind when you brought this up was um i I reflect on the spiritual component of access to information um, mm-hmm. because my wife and I were talking about this the other day and it's a it's kind of a fascinating subject so if if you look at the um the biblical story of Adam and Eve being in the Garden of Eden. And if you look at the tree that they were not supposed to eat from, that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. And um, I think that that's a really fascinating thing as we look at at access to information today. Um, And we look at knowledge. And knowledge sort of differentiated from wisdom. Wisdom is sort of like the ability to make the right choices. Knowledge is just an accumulation of facts, um, not necessarily... They, they might allow you to make a better decision and apply wisdom in better ways, but knowledge does not inherently do that. And so I just reflect on it because how many times have we um, mistaken knowledge for wisdom in people we see around us or, or whatever, people who have facts or access to facts, people who have access to a phone that can look up any sort of... Um, trivia question that you can come up with. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet that not being equitable at all to wisdom, you know, um, just because you have access to information doesn't mean that you will be a wiser person. I think that's just like a, it's an interesting spiritual thing to put on as we, when you bring up like this, this context of like, they had to go search for information. Now they were searching for information so that they could make a wise decision about what was going on with the government whether or not they should pursue that angle um and it's even wise for them to make the decision to go look for information but the information itself was just purely information um just fascinating i think to look at the differences in our worlds today
1: yeah i think i think kind of what i do on a daily basis as an editor it's something that i think can help people when they're trying to process information and what they do with that information so that they can gain wisdom. that you have to have critical thinking skills. You have to have the ability to fact check. You have to be able to find the original source. I mean, we do that every day. And as we edit, as we edit books and without that ability, then you're just kind of relying on whatever somebody is telling you is true, but you don't have the ability to engage that content in a way that can determine whether or not that's true and then communicate that in a way that is powerful and that makes that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. My wife is actually a, um, she's been an editor in the past. Um, and she teaches both writing and editing and, She talks about this all the time, how you present information, how you edit information down, how you say things in a sentence, how you present data to somebody. Um, it all really matters.
1: It does. And look at Facebook and look at what people are sharing. And you're like, come on now, did you even even click and read the article that you're sharing and then find out that that is taking things way out of context? Like that, that thing, like that's something that, you know, geez, I, I don't think that we should police people, but it would be helpful if there were an option like, oh, sign up for your Facebook account. And while you're signing up, why don't you read these articles on what, you know, kind of Facebook etiquette and how you can use this, uh, how you can use Facebook, you know, or Twitter or whatever it is that people are using. Like, what, what is a responsible way to share information exactly. and what is crazy?
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, any other things that came up in the show?
1: I mean, it's awesome. I want to re rewatch the entire thing again.
0: Yeah, you'll have to join us on another on another episode um, later on down the line here. That'd be cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Reclamation Society podcast. Um, if people want to check out any of your other works or other stuff that you're up to, where should they go?
1: We are at the prosandcons.com. That's P R O S E, prose, pros. and we're on Twitter and Facebook. You can check us out there. We have our podcast, and we write every now and then too. So yeah, check us out. And That's I'm awesome. I'm at uh, Sand underscore Rad on Twitter.
0: Oh, nice! He wants
1: to find me there.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, I and I have um, I have written a couple articles for the pros and cons. So thank you okay. for accepting those and editing them well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you.
1: All right. Bye
0: all right now it's your turn what do you think uh, i'd love to hear your response to this podcast what is the upside down is it a parallel universe a spiritual plane is it both write us an email at reclamation society at gmail.com if you don't know how to spell it check the show notes below and just cut and paste it and let us know what you think we're very interested in starting a discussion with you and we want to hear your thoughts you can also head over to imzy.com and join the Reclamation Society group on MZ. It's real simple, um, imzy.com. Just search for Reclamation Society there. Drop in, you'll see our group, and you can post things into that group. Don't forget about the opportunity to purchase the premium wood headphones from Urban Vinyl. These headphones are really sick. Um, I love using them. I use them to record this podcast. They work fantastic. Click the link in the description to check them out so you get in the show notes. Um, save 15% and support the Reclamation Society in the process if you like what you heard or even if you hated it just please give us a review on iTunes if you're not subscribed to this podcast please make sure you subscribe you don't want to miss our podcasts on Luke Cage Um, we're going to do a Suicide Squad podcast and we have our big Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice the Ultimate Edition podcast that will come out early next year as always, you can follow us on all the social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of those links are in the show notes. And please consider donating to the Reclamation Society. Help us make this podcast. It helps us develop some of our own original works as far as stories go as well. We have a really cool weird Western that's coming out early next year. We did our Star Wars fan film. We are big geeks just like you are, and we love to, to tell stories. So we'd like for you to be a part of that. Please consider donating to us you can do so at www.reclamationsociety.org slash give. That link is also in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sandra Demas for joining us this week. Until next time, question everything in the stories that you read, watch, and listen to, and always seek the truth.